the Blood Covenant. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 5. Father, we, we thank you again tonight that there's nothing, nothing greater that's happened to us than our salvation. Amen. We thank you, Father, for the precious blood of the Lamb of God, who is our Passover sacrifice. Father, please grant us again your spirit of wisdom and revelation as we look into this covenant that you've made with us. Help us to search these things out. Help us to discover for ourselves the, the multitude of treasure that there is within the understandings of these studies and this whole issue of covenant, Father, that you've entered into a, an everlasting covenant with your people, that you've entered into something that you've sworn to uphold throughout all eternity. Now, Father, please allow us to, to take a hold of this as not a teaching by itself, but let it be the truth that it is, this eternal thing that runs throughout all of your histories, Father, of working with men. So I ask you to help us tonight. And again, Holy Spirit, I do yield myself to you, and I ask you to please help me to open my mouth and to faithfully amplify that part which you want me to communicate. In Jesus' precious name, Father, I thank you for these things. Amen. Again, just uh, real quickly, that we're talking about covenant. The Hebrew word berith means to cut where blood flows. I'm just going to read this paragraph. The word berith comes from bar, which means, quote, to purify or cleanse, which signifies a purification or a purifier. Almost all nations and forming alliances made their covenants or contracts in the same way. A sacrifice was provided... Its throat was cut and its blood was poured out before God. Then the whole carcass was divided through the spinal marrow from the head to the rump so as to make exactly two equal parts. These were placed opposite to each other and the contracting parties paced, placed, excuse me, the contracting parties passed between them or entering at opposite ends, they met in the center and there they took the covenant oath. Okay. I just want to show you again how the Bible refers to these kind of things. Remember what we said in the first four hours as we've taught over this thing about covenant is that civilizations in this time when the Bible was written took it for granted that people understood covenant because covenant was the device that every culture worked with to swear absolute allegiance to one another and anything that you can imagine. Uh, again, I, I, you know, I don't want to rehearse all the material and all the things I've read from Trumbull's book. But this issue of when a covenant was cut, cutting between the halves, walking two witnesses coming between the halves of things like we spoke about now. You remember from the last time we were together, we walked through the little situation about two tribes coming together and what they would do. Uh, they would stand in a valley and there would be all the other tribes round about watching the two champions in the midst of the valley as they would make a cut in their hands normally, clasp hands so that the blood was flowing together because it was a type of them becoming one. And then they take that bull that they would have sacrificed, remember, basically barbecued it, and then all the families, all the peoples would ingest or eat this sacrificial bull. 
representing their own personal agreement to every blessing and every curse that they heard, every stipulation of the covenant. That's the way they were throughout. But I just want to say that there's several more uh, scriptures that refer to this. And again, they just take it for granted. And this is Jeremiah 34, verses 18 through 20. Uh, God just speaking about some people who did not keep a covenant. It says, verse 18, And the men who have transgressed my covenant who have not kept the terms of the covenant or the solemn pledge which they have made before me, I will make them like the sacrificial calf which they cut in two and then passed between its separated parts, solemnizing their pledge to me. I will make those men the calf. The princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf I will give them into the hands of their enemies and into the hands of those who seek their life and their dead bodies will be food for the birds of the heavens. Not a very nice passage of scripture, but the point is I wanted you to just see this reference where God's saying I'm likening you people as to these calves that people passed through. Because again, this was knowledge that was just very basic to those times, all right? Now we get to Genesis 15 where we actually introduce the Abrahamic covenant. And I've got to back up a few verses in, in chapter 14 because what's, had, what's happened in chapter 14 is when Abram has heard that uh, his nephew Lot had been captured. I'll start in verse 14 of Genesis 14 so I can put it in context. It says, When Abram heard that his nephew had been captured, he armed and led forth the 318 trained servants born in his own house, and he pursued the enemy as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and attacked and routed them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. Verse 16, And he brought back all the goods and also brought back his kinsmen, Lot, and his possessions, the women also, and the people. After his, Abram's return from the defeat and the slain of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, which, that is the king's valley, Melchizedek, king of Salem, later called Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine for the nourishment. He was the priest of, the God, of God Most High. And he blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed, favored with blessings, made blissful or joyful, be Abram by God, Most High, possessor and maker of heaven and earth, and blessed and glorified be God Most High, who has given your foes into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of all that he had taken. Verse 21 and the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and keep the goods for yourselves. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, Now even this, I want you to begin to, when you study the Bible for the rest of your life, to notice little statements like this. He said, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand and sworn to the Lord, God most high, the possessor and maker of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a shoelace or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Take all except only what my young men have eaten and the share of the men, the allies who went with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Manry, let them take their portion. So basically, Abram's gone. He's, he's, he's recovered and he's rescued his nephew Lot from uh, the Chedorlaomer and this whole situation. And these people, Melchizedek and the king of Sodom, they want to bless him. But Abram has this this consecration to God because of his covenant with God that he's already, God's already spoken to him. I shouldn't say covenant. I don't want to confuse you. God's already spoken to him in Genesis 12 when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. 
But I, this thing about, he said, I've raised my hand, because again, forgive me for my hesitations, but all through scripture, there are these little statements that we just read over that are actually assumptions in ancient understanding that you know what it means. That when you lift your hand, the lifting of the hand was always a sign of a pledge uh, of a league, of a covenant, and mostly because normally in the hand was where the scars were from a covenant, from a cut, from something. And people would literally do this to show that you're not alone because you had a league. In other words, when they saw a scar, they knew immediately that you might be there as one person, but that cut in your hand mean that you were lying maybe to an entire nation or an entire tribe or an entire, to an entire people. But I'm saying they would raise their hand and swear and that was all part of this thing that, again, has just been washed out of our culture today. We, again, just think words can easily be broken, that our words are no good, that, I mean, we can do anything we want. It was a very serious issue. And all I can say is thank God it's a very serious issue with the Lord today, and it still remains the same with Him. God is going to keep His word whether we do or not. Now, that should make you rejoice when it's all said and done. So... From this point, now we jump to, to verse 1 in chapter 15. So that's the occasion what's just happened. It says, after these things. Now, I'll tell you. Well, after these, let me read verse 1. I mean, I want to make a comment again. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, your abundant compensation, and your reward should be exceedingly great. Now, this is why I wanted to read some of Genesis 14, because why is God saying to Abram, fear not, I'll be your reward? Well, I mean, they've just offered him just before, you know, after this battle when he won. They just offered him all manner of silver and gold and all kinds of earthly rewards. And Abram's lifted his, but Abram said, no, no, I don't want anybody to be able to say that they've made me rich. No man, no natural thing has made me rich. I've raised my hand to the Lord. God is my source. Now, I see a little humor in this. Have you ever really done the right thing and then afterwards kind of gone, man, I wish I would have taken advantage of that. Oh, well, maybe nobody here has. <laughs> but I've been in situations before similar to this where, you know, you just, you're doing your best to walk upright before God and something's been offered to you that is really something that's a, a fleshly reward where you've sworn yourself to the Lord and to His ways. And you're challenged sometimes with a personal integrity issue. And here, all I know is if you can read between the lines, we find Abram being spoken to by God in the very next passage saying, Abram, don't be afraid of anything. I am your shield. But again, the way it's worded here, now let's just go on. Listen to how he says it. It says, I am your shield, your abundant compensation, and your reward shall be exceedingly great. But now watch this. This is where we get into the whole covenant thing. And Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm going on from this world childless? And he who shall be the owner and heir of my house is this steward, Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, he's saying... It makes no difference, Lord, what you can do for me because I have no son to be an heir. Now, you have to understand, I have, I have it further in the notes here in the curriculum, we have it, that in that day, to not have a male heir 
was the most horrific thing that a man could think to, to have, to not have a male or heir, heir to continue on his family name. So no matter how rich he was or anything else, what Abram is saying is, Lord, what difference does it make? My his servant in my household is going to be the man who carries forward all of this issue. Verse 3, it says, And Abram continued, Look, you have given me no child, and a servant born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir, but he who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside his tent into the starlight and said, Look now toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, verse 6, Abram, believed in, trusted in, relied on, remained steadfast to the Lord, and he, God, counted it to Abram as righteousness, right standing with God. In other words, he simply believed him. Verse 7, And he said to him, I am the same Lord, God is speaking, I am the same Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land as an inheritance. But now verse 8 is a very telling verse. Again, you have to use your understanding, you know, you have to listen to the, to the spirit of what is being said in verse 8. Because this is a verse that speaks to the heart of all mankind's questionings about what God will do for them. He, Abram, said, Lord God, by what shall I know that I shall inherit it? Now, now listen, in verse 6 it says that Abram believed God Right? It says he believed him, trusted him. But then he said, but how do I know this is going to come to pass? How do I know that what you promised, you said, you said it's going to come to pass. You said you're going to do this for me, but I want to know how. How do I know what is the solution? What is the thing that makes me know that this is in concrete? What is the thing that will tell me absolutely positively that what you've said is going to come to pass is actually going to happen. And the way the Lord answers him is this, in verse 9, he said, God says to Abram, bring me a heifer, three years old, a she-goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, and here's, here, here's the covenant, you see. And he cut them down the middle into halves and laid each half opposite the other. But the birds he did not divide. Now, in other words, listen to how God answers. Mankind's question is, how shall I know that I will inherit? God's answer is, go get a bull. <laughs> now, you've got to hear this with your spirit. God's answering mankind's question of how will I know that God will do what he said he will do by saying, this is how you'll know. I'm going to actually enter into a covenant with you myself. This is not a man that's going to enter into covenant with you. I am going to enter into covenant with you. I mean, I am going to enter into covenant with you. See, even as I say it right now, I know that you're not really, even, you're not really hearing this. Men enter into covenant. And in those days, like I said, if you're reading this book, if you've got this book, it is the holiest. Uh, I, I was reading this, the last six pages of this uh, again today. And it was talking about in China, and it was talking about how, where the triads came from, and the tri where the triad, you know, which is now like a crime syndicate, but how it grew out of this situation of covenant, and how they cut covenant, and 
and how it started, you know, these century, 23 centuries, 22, I'm sorry, no, that was another thing, 16 centuries ago. But the point is, all these, all these things, and you'll, you'll see this in the last five pages of this book, it keeps saying just this statement, that a covenant by blood is the most sacred, the most sacred compact known to mankind in all history. It's the most sacred. And like I've been saying the other hours, I want to keep saying these things over and over again because I want you to hear it. It was absolutely unthinkable that once you were in a covenant by blood that it would be broken. I mean, it was so unthinkable to the cultures of the world that if you went as far in the first place to enter into a covenant by blood because nobody ever went into a covenant by blood until like, again, there'd been long, long prayerful discussions of all kinds of considerations taken into to bear and all manner of things and a whole list of curses, whole list of blessings because it was a very binding situation that again was going to affect you for at least seven generations no matter what. So here, you know, Abram evidently, like I said, these people, this culture understood covenant, but God, you have to hear me, God is saying, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you because Abram's out here, you got to understand, Abram's out here, uh, we don't know who's with him, but he's hearing God, God's speaking to him on his own. Now, but just watch, he says, bring to me a heifer, and a she-goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, and he cut them down the middle into halves, and laid each half opposite the other, but the birds he did not divide. Now, verse 11, listen with your spirit again. And when the birds of prey swooped down upon the carcass, Abram drove them away. Funny little verse, why is that in there? Remember, there's no scripture without signification. None. A covenant. Anytime in the scriptures you see fowls of the air, birds of the air, they always speak to satanic emissaries. I don't care what Bible college you may go to. When they talk about the fowls of the air, the birds of the air, they're talking about something that steals that which is God's. The birds of the air come and steal the seed, Mark 4, what have you. But all through, I don't care again what school you go to, they speak of satanic emissaries. What this is saying is the moment Abram enters in, this covenant issue is cut. These, this bull and this goat are cut in half. I mean, again, remember what we said a few sessions ago. This event is so melodramatic. It's supposed to strike you in every way, spirit, soul, and body. I mean, if you could picture, I mean, like I said, I grew up near a place where I could very easily go to a slaughterhouse or whatever they call them over here, abattoir. And I mean, when you actually, if you've ever, like, because I grew up hunting and fishing, if you've ever field dressed an animal, and you see how much blood there is. If you can imagine this bull being split in half and people standing in the middle of this bull while all the innards of this thing is everywhere, hot blood and everything else that goes with it. I mean, it's a very, very dramatic thing. But here God Almighty has, has said, Abram, do this. Abram cuts these things in half and immediately these birds of the air come and it's important for you to know that God doesn't run the birds off. Abram has to run the birds off. It's the same thing we have to do today. God's in a covenant. We're going to, like I said, if you'll read the rest of the notes, regardless of what I'm able to get to in the next several, next three hours. 
But God has made a covenant with us that is everlasting, but we have enemies that come and do their very best to picket this thing and picket this thing and to steal from it so that we're not able to really have the fullness of what it provides for us. Again, I really pray that you will really, really get into these seven pages. I'm gonna, I, I think I'm going to have to read a couple of bits of it. So it says, and when the birds of prey swooped down upon the carcasses, Abram drew them away, drove them away. Verse 12, when the sun was setting, a deep sleep overcame Abram, and a horror, a terror, a shuddering fear of great darkness assailed and oppressed him. And here's God brings him, shows him the future of his people Israel, what's going to happen to them, how they're going to disobey this covenant, and how they're going to go into bondage to, it, to Egypt for 430 years. Verse 13, and God said to Abram, know positively that your descendants will be strangers and dwelling, they will be strangers dwelling as temporary residents in a land that is not theirs, Egypt, and they will be slaves there and will be afflicted and oppressed for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation whom they will serve and afterward they will come out with great possessions. And you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good hoary age. And in the fourth generation, they, your descendants, shall come back here to Canaan again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full and complete. Now, verse 17, this is powerful, very powerful. When the sun had gone down and a thick darkness had come on, behold, what's behold mean? Remember, it means look and see. Behold, a smoking oven and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. What you have to see here, one of the first actual earthly manifestations of God on the earth is, is he himself manifests himself. And the way he's described here, and you know, pillar of fire, cloud by day, you know, fire by night, cloud by day, whatever. But a, a, a smoking furnace, it's, or as it says here, a, uh, a smoking oven and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. In other words, if you can catch this, God is so involved in this covenant, this league, this contract he's making with his man Abram that he is supernaturally manifesting himself and he comes down to earth and his presence actually walks to and fro between these pieces. Now, you mean, that may not mean zip to you right now, but that's heavy. <laughs> this, is, that's, this is heavy. This is very, very heavy. I mean, God is so desirous of showing the depth of his desire to be Abram's God that he comes and, you know, he'd been speaking to him in a vision, but I mean a manifestation of God himself came to earth. It came to earth. It came to earth and passed between these pieces themselves so that they could come into it. And it says, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant, a promise, a pledge with Abram. And he said, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cabinites, and so on. Now, again, this is something that people just read over, but you're going to have to learn to tie this with all the other passages of Scripture that Paul's going to speak to in Galatians, the writer of Hebrews, Paul in the book of Romans, because all of this information is going to tie back to the fact that this covenant is an everlasting covenant. 
Now, God's going to speak to Abram about this again in Genesis 17, in Genesis 20, 22, 24, all the way until the actual promise takes place where Isaac is born, all right? Um, back on the outline, like I said, I'm, if you'll just turn the page, like I said, I've just got to move kind of quick. Forgive me for moving so quick, but I want you to go ahead and turn to Galatians now, Galatians chapter 3. And um, because we had to lay that groundwork to get that in your soul, we hope it gets in your spirit too. So God's actually come and cut a covenant with Abraham. Now, I've turned another page to Lesson 3 since I don't know the correct page number for yourselves. If you have the outlines, go to Lesson 3 and you'll find this towards the bottom of hopefully the first page. Uh, there's many things above it that you could look at as well. But in Galatians chapter 3, it would be helpful if I could get there myself. Now, again, you've got to put in some time. You're going to have to put some time in reading this stuff. Otherwise, again, it's just going to be a bunch of head knowledge. But please do yourself a favor. Pray and say, Father, show me. I mean, what, you've, what have you really done? What Are Abraham's blessings mine? Because that's what the Scripture says they are. But again, people say that all the time. They even sing the song, Abraham's blessings are mine. Abraham. They don't know what Abraham's blessings are. That's why I've given you this. There's at least 60 of them. But there's actually more. But the point is to really see what it speaks to. But now I'm going to start in chapter 3 of Galatians. Remember as we start here that Paul uses some of the strongest language in the whole New Testament in this, in this book because of the Judaizing teachers that come in to try to undermine and dilute the truth of what the true gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. They're trying to get them back underneath the law. So he's bringing forth a real strong argument against that and trying to let them understand, guys, don't get moved away from it. So I'm going to jump around here for a bit. But in verse 1 of Galatians 3, Paul said, Oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians, <laughs> who has fascinated or bewitched or cast a spell over you unto whom right before your very eyes Jesus Christ the Messiah was openly and graphically set forth and portrayed as crucified? Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit as a result of obeying the law and doing its works, or was it by hearing the message of the gospel and believing it? Was it from observing a law of rituals or from a message of faith? Then he goes on down, and he's going to share some more about the law. But I want you to come on down now and just jump to verse 6. He said, Thus Abraham believed and trusted and relied on God, and it was reckoned and placed to his account and credited as righteousness, as conformity to the divine will and purpose, thought, and action. Verse 7, he said, You need to know and understand that it is really the people who live by faith who are the true sons of Abraham. It is truly, it is only the people of faith. I'll just read what the Bible says. Know and understand. That word know again is that word that speaks to extreme intimacy. Know and understand that it is really the people who live by faith who are the true sons of Abraham. Now remember who he's speaking to. A lot of people who have been had the message of what God has done in Christ diluted because everybody's trying to get them back under Judeo law, living like the Jews lived before Christ came. He said in verse 8, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify, declare righteous, and put in right standing with himself the Gentiles in consequence of faith, these Scriptures proclaimed the gospel. They foretold 
the glad tidings of a Savior long before to Abraham in the promise, saying, In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So Paul is quoting Genesis 12 when God first called Abraham out of their other Chaldees. Okay? He's quoting him because all of their faith was dependent upon, you know, Abram at this time, that all of the Jews just, Abram, Abram was the father of their faith. So, but hear what Paul said. He said that even the Messiah had been proclaimed to them inside this scripture back then when God said, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 9, so then, those who are people of faith are blessed and made happy and favored by God as partners in fellowship with the believing and the trusting Abraham. Now, let me just go ahead and read verse 10 anyhow. Actually, I need, you got to just be patient with me. I've got to read a lot of scripture tonight. And all who depend on the law, listen to this verse in the Amplified. <laughs> and all who depend on the law, who are seeking to be justified by obedience to the law of rituals, are under a curse and are doomed to disappointment. Let me tell you something. You hear me say this all the time about other, in other courses we do. Remember, where there's much love, there's little law. Where there's much law, there's little love. This whole issue about structure, structure, structure. God wants us to have some structure, but structure is never supposed to usurp authority over the things of the Spirit of God. Wherever people begin to get locked into law, I guarantee you, you're going you're to get locked into a realm of disappointment. He said, when people get under the law, he said, they're doomed to disappointment because you set yourself in a position of do's and don'ts that causes grief and constant condemnation. He said, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed, doomed to eternal punishment, be everybody, be everyone who does not continue to abide and live and remain by all the precepts and commands written in the book of the law to practice them. Uh, verse 12, but the law does not rest on faith, does not require faith, has nothing to do with faith, for it itself says, he who does them, the things prescribed by the law, shall live by them, not by faith. But Christ purchased, now don't just turn off on me because you're you know, talking so much stuff here, I know. <laughs> but Christ, you know, Galatians 3.13, listen to this. You see, we can read the scriptures or we can believe the scriptures. Did you hear me? And we can act like they're so because they are so. But like the basics of faith are, you're going to have to release your faith that if God has actually brought us into union with him and that all the blessings of Abraham are ours today, that you're going to have to fight for them and keep the fowls of the air from picking them away from your life as well. But you're first going to have to do the work. I'm sorry it's not easy, but you're going to have to do the work of reading this stuff over and over again until it's not just coming at your ears, but until it's being comprehended with your spirit. Because th these things are hidden for you, not from you. But the things of the covenant are so powerful, like all laws of the spirit, if they worked too easily, other than the spirit of the life, other than the law of the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus to get you saved, 
If some of these things work too easily, you would take some of these things and destroy people with them. You've got to get your spirit tuned to the point that you can hear these things and then say, I actually believe I'm blessed. Now, I'm, that's just a simple statement. Like I said, I'm going to have to read something out of these notes I know now. But let me just read it. I know that you know the verse. You can quote it. But listen to what this whole argument. Paul said in Galatians 3.13, Christ, I'll quote it from the King James, and I'll read it from the Bible, read it from the Amplified. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. For it is written, Cursed is every man that hangeth upon a tree. Now, in the Amplified, it says, Christ purchased our freedom. He redeemed us from the curse. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by himself becoming a curse for us. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But he became a curse for us to the end. Look, what's verse 14 say? To the end that through their receiving Christ Jesus, the blessing promised to Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through faith. That through faith we all might, it says in the Amplified, receive the realization of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, to speak in terms of human relations, brethren, if even a man makes a last will and a testament, a merely human covenant, no one sets it aside and makes it void or adds to it once it has been drawn up, signed, ratified, confirmed. Verse 16. Now the promises, the covenants, the agreement were decreed and made to Abraham and his seed. Now listen. This promise was made to Abraham. Now watch how he says it. Made to Abraham and his seed. He does not say to his seeds, plural, his descendants or heirs, as if referring to many persons, but and to your seed, capital S, your descendant, your heir, obviously referring to the one individual who is none other than Christ the Messiah. Now, I, I'm going slow because, you see, you can just say, well, what's it? so what? You do remember that Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Do you remember that? I mean, he was one of the, evidently, the most judicious, judicious students of the Torah, students of the Pentateuch that ever walked. I mean, in fact, there, he boldly says that if any man lived, walked as close to uprightly and righteous before the law, it was him. He evidently was, I mean, again, well, the Bible says he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, he was like the creme de la creme who understood these things. And in his testimony, in other words, listen, Paul, with that background says, listen to what the scripture says the promise wasn't made to Abram and his seeds, meaning many. It was made to Abram and his seed. And Paul's interpretation, which is the Holy Spirit's interpretation, is he says, who is obviously referring to the one individual who is none other than Christ the Messiah. Now listen, in verse 17, this is my argument. The law, 
This part's really important. I wish I had a chart. The law which began 430 years after the covenant concerning the coming of Messiah does not and cannot annul the covenant previously established by God so as to abolish the promise and make it void. Everybody look up at me. Here's the covenant God made with Abram. 430 years later is when God gives Moses the law on Mount Sinai. And the law was given, you've got to catch this, 430 years after the covenant, but Moses was living according to the covenant, but God's people had gone so far astray, they were in such bondage, God had to bring them, like it's going to say in Galatians, remember, a school book. It says that the law was their schoolmaster until Christ came. Remember that scripture? But here's the covenant. 430 years later comes the law. But the law was just something here to show, it says, the way of righteousness, but that nobody could live to it. But Paul is saying the covenant cannot be annulled by the law because, see, the law came after the covenant was just a part of something trying to illustrate something. The covenant remains in effect regardless of what's happened to the law. Now listen, when Jesus Christ went to that cross, he said, it is finished what was finished. What did he live up to the uttermost? What did he fulfill every jot and tittle of? The law. He took away, he nailed to his cross the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Are you listening? <sighs> he took away the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. This is why we can today go to the law like we've already done here. I think we did it last week, didn't we, in Deuteronomy 28? You can go to where the blessings and the cursings are listed that come from obedience to the law. And this is why we can look at that and categorically say hallelujah to the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28 and see that within the first 14 verses of 28, all these blessings there are still ours today for obedience and walking uprightly before God. But from, chapter, from verse 15, 16 onward, all the way to the end of Deuteronomy 28, every single curse in there is something that Jesus Christ became for you. You've been redeemed from them. So now you can, if you want to, release your faith and say when anything from verse 15 onward tries to come on you, know in the name of Jesus Christ, I am redeemed from that. <sighs> oh well. Amen. One day, one, one day, maybe when you get to heaven, you'll go, I see it. Because <laughs> 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 I, I know, like I said, I'm, Julie is laughing at me today and somebody in the office, I was so frustrated today. I've been reading all day long and I've been about to spit cotton trying to think. I said, what on earth am I supposed to do? <laughs> about, you know, I've got two tons of stuff here and I've got to keep this as an overview. What do I set aside? What do I labor through so I can get to what is necessary? Anyway, let me keep, let me keep going. I've got 10 minutes for this one. I'm already done with this hour. But listen to what verse 7, this is important to Paul. He said, this is my argument. This is important. The law which began 430 years after the covenant concerning the coming Messiah does not and cannot annul the covenant. See, differentiate. Most people, when they think Old Testament, they 
kind of, they don't know. They're foggy. They see the covenant and the law as one thing. It isn't one thing. Are you listening to me? That's vital. You got to get your mind right around that. The law which began 430 years after the covenant concerning the coming Messiah does not and cannot annul the covenant that was previously established and ratified by God. Verse 18, for if the inheritance of the promise, if the inheritance of the promise depends on observing the law as these false teachers would like you to believe, it no longer depends on the promise. However, God gave it to Abraham as a free gift solely by virtue of his promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added later on after the promise to disclose and expose to men their guilt because of transgressions and to make men more conscious of the sinfulness of sin. See, wherever you preach in law, that's what you're going to find. People are going to be more conscious of sin. Let me, I got to go. They're, they're going to be more conscious of sin. What have we been talking about so much? We're not called to preach sin. We're called to preach Christ. If we'll do our job and preach Christ, people won't be attracted to sin. But he, again, the scripture says it was added later to disclose and expose them in their guilt because of transgressions and to make men more conscious of the sinfulness of sin. And it was intended, listen, the law was intended to be in effect until the seed, the descendant, the heir, Jesus Christ, should come to and concerning whom the promise had been made. And it, the law, was arranged and ordained and appointed through the instrumentality of angels and, and was given by the hand and the purpose of a go-between Moses. Verse 20, now a go-between, an intermediary, has to do with and implies more than one party. There can be no mediator with just one person. Yet God is only one person, and he was the sole party in giving that promise to Abraham. But the law was a contract between two, God and Israel. Its validity was dependent upon both. Oh, this is going to upset religious folks right now. I'm really treading whether or not I should just say it. The law's validity depended upon both people. The validity of this is only, I'll just say it, dependent upon God. And I'll just let you figure out what that means in the next 20 years. Is the law then contrary and opposed to the promises of God? Of course not, for if a law had been given which could confer spiritual life, then righteousness, right standing with God, would certainly have come by the law. But the scriptures picture all mankind as sinners. Shut up and imprisoned by sin so that the inheritance, the blessing which was promised through faith might be given, released, delivered, and committed to all those who believe. Now, again, I've got to jump on down here. I want you to go to verse 25. But now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a trainer, the guardian of our childhood, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into, see, immersed into Christ, into a spiritual union. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ, into a spiritual union and communion with Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, you've put on and you've clothed yourself. You've clothed yourself with Christ. Put on, the word in the Greek literally means clothed. Another covenant phrase. Remember when they would stand between those two bulls, that bull cut in half, people would exchange garments. They'd exchange their 
their robes because it signified their authority. It signified their, who they were. We have clothed ourselves with Christ. Verse 28 says, there is now no distinction, neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's not male or female, for you are all one. You are all one. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The two become one. And if, everybody say if. Yes. And if you belong to Christ, does anybody in this room belong to Christ? Yes. Amen. Anybody? Amen. And if you belong to Christ, if you are in him, who is Abraham's seed, listen. And if you belong to Christ, if you are in him, who is Abraham's seed, then you are, you are Abraham's offspring and your heirs. You are heirs. You are heirs according to the promise. Now, you know, that's where we got to stop already this first hour. But you, 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 this, you, you're going to have to accept that. I can't teach you that. You're going to have to read this and understand that anything and everything about, like the Bible says, the promise is, in, is entirely dependent upon faith. Not you figuring it out. Abraham believed it. Remember what we've said in a long while back? The Bible is not really meant to be a book. It's not really a book that's meant to be explained. It's a book that's meant to be believed. And we spend so much time trying to explain it that sometimes we just don't believe it. I am a son of God. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I am in covenant with God. I'm an heir of God. I'm Abraham's seed, and I'm an heir according to every single promise that God's given to Abraham. Now, I don't know about you, but if that's the truth, it might be important for me to find out what God's promised. I said it might be important to find out what God's promised him because these, just because somebody's promised it doesn't mean it's going to manifest. You've got to release your faith. All right? Now, I, I, I just got to stop there before we get to this next bit. All right? So let's just pray. Father, please help me. <laughs> please help me with this and help us to just get through these things and grab the, the meat of what you're wanting to say to us in the name of Jesus Christ. I ask you to help me with this. Amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.